0: From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. Today, joining me on this episode, we have John Gerbitz. John serves as a robotic milking consultant with Cow Corner LLC. As a kid, I grew up with the show The Jetsons. And let's face it, I feel like the year 2023 has launched us into an episode of The Jetsons. So much of our industry is driven by robotics and artificial intelligence. I mean, you can't open a magazine, a newspaper or tune into the television without hearing about AI or robots, can you? So today we thought we'd take a moment and look at what the 21st and a half century has to offer us in the dairy industry. John, welcome to The Dairy Show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And John, if you could start with all my guests, it's fun to know a little bit about you. So could you fill us in on what your background is? What led you down this path?
1: Sure. So if if we go way back, I did not grow up on a farm. Dad uh, was a cash cropper. And so When I graduated from UW Platteville, I decided I wanted to be a dairy farmer and bought a group of cows and for 18 years built that business and then reached a point where, as as many do, it's uh, either we make some big changes to get bigger or, or we get out and we chose to pursue other opportunities and sold the cows in 2001. And then I went to work for in the AI industry for 16 years starting as a technician and working my way through the ranks as a ai trainer and product manager and reproductive management consultant and then from there i moved on to work for DeLaval as a herd management advisor spending some of my time in robotic milking and some of my time with parlor milking focusing on software and cows and things like that then it became evident that i needed to find something different. And so I looked at what I had done in the robotic milking. and I really enjoyed working with that and found found a lot of interesting and a lot of new things to learn in that area. But the opportunity I saw was that being able to work more closely. So in in the work I did for Laval, I did not get to visit farms as frequently as I would have liked to. I didn't know the farms as well as I wanted to. And so with Cal Corner, The idea is that I'm more involved, have more touch points with every farm that I serve so that we can make better progress.
0: John, you've got relevant experience. How many installations did you do?
1: I was involved with uh, 35 startups in one way or another. Uh, So usually that meant from uh, up to six months or more before the startup working with the customer to help them understand what the process was going to look like, how many cows they were going to need, everything right down to details like where we would want gates and how many people we would need to that startup. And then following up afterwards to see that things were moving in the right direction. And and at that point, it often was handed off to, to a dealer or someone else. And I would get back to farms less frequently.
0: Robotic milking systems, they're becoming more commonplace here in the United States. But let's back that train up a little bit and talk about the history of robotic milking. Fill us in on that a little bit. it's, It's not new technology by any stretch.
1: You know, it it's amazing how far it's come and certainly starting out in Europe and grew faster in Canada than it did in the U.S. The first robotic milking system in the U.S. was a two-unit barn right here in Wisconsin, and it was uh, Pete Kanegi started with two Lely robots. And it took a long time from there for it to grow. There, it, was, it was one here and there, and a lot of the interest was in the two- to four-unit barns, so much uh, smaller. And it was more of a lifestyle thing that uh, a family could continue with minimal hired help to, to grow their operation and have some flexibility to get to football games and basketball games and school activities and things like that and then as it's grown from there and i think particularly in the last five years with the changes we've had in the labor market people have looked at it much more from the standpoint of of who's going to milk the cows and larger farms have looked at it both from that standpoint of who's going to milk the cows but also from a modular way to expand so you've got that 80 stall rotary and it's full and what is the next step in your expansion are you going to build another 80-stall rotary and do all of the expansion that needs to fill that in a short period of time as opposed to adding maybe eight robots and filling those eight robots and then down the road adding another eight robots and growing one step at a time instead of making that big leap.
0: Those are all factors that figure into decision making, because that's a huge, huge decision to implement robotics on the farm. But maybe if we could touch for just a minute, John, about how they work. I mean, a lot of people I know stop in their tracks at Expo and they they look at each of the each of the milk harvesting companies has them on display so you can see how they work. Tell us a little bit about that technology. How does it work?
1: It's interesting, the level of interest and the level of knowledge that different people have. When I was in the AI industry, I consulted with a couple of robotic milking dairies. And and actually at that time, I wasn't that interested. But once you get involved and watch that machine work and understand all the numbers that are involved and all the data involved, you kind of get hooked and you kind of get sucked into it. And that's certainly what happened for me. So we're looking at a box in the middle of the barn that the cow voluntarily walks into the box prompted by feed in the robot and possibly feed in the bunk and she's identified in the robot the gate closes behind her if she has milking permission she's held in the robot and automatically the, the teats are cleaned automatically the teat cups are attached and when the cow is done teat cups are removed and the cow leaves the stall.
0: John, you talk about permissions. So again, we're talking about intelligence here. This machine has got a high degree of intelligence. What on average is the number of times that a cow does go to the robotic milking station?
1: It's going to depend a little bit on the level of production. I think most farms were looking at 2.8 to 3 milkings per cow per day. And in that classic example of, of what robotic milking has been, I think a lot of people looking for 90 to 100 pounds of milk per cow and at that level of production. So we're looking at in the range of 30 to 35 pounds per milking. When you look at how many cows we want to fit in the robot and how much we tend to think of this more in terms of production per robot, at least that has to be part of the conversation. And so the average for the U.S. is about 5,000 pounds, maybe a little more than that per robot. And our top producing farms are getting in the ranges seven thousand pounds per roll watt, and to get into those higher production ranges, you have so many minutes in a day, and it takes so long to milk the cow. You've got so much idle time available, so you end up in the range of one hundred and sixty to one hundred and eighty milkings, and it's how are you going to divide those milkings up to get the the pounds of production that you want. So I started to say earlier that the the classic example has been we're looking for 100 pounds per cow and we're going to want to milk those cows three times a day give or take but we've seen some different as the technology becomes more accepted we've seen some different business models come into play and the production expectations aren't always that high so where we used to think in terms of 60 cows milking 100 pounds per cow now we've got herds where they're looking more at 75 cows Per robot milking 75 pounds per cow we're still getting in roughly the same place in terms of total production per robot but we're looking at lower production per cow and those lower producing cows don't need to be milked as frequently so some of those farms in two and a half times for a cow that's milking 75 pounds a day two and a half to 2.3 milkings is enough and so different business models will call for different levels of milking frequency
0: when you work with a pipeline system like what i grew up with you don't have near as much data to work with as the guy who has a parlor and certainly with the robots again you've got just a sea of data that helps you make decisions too could you talk about that a little bit john all the data that your robot's collecting for you on a daily basis
1: so we know so much about each cow and this is really where i Dig a little deeper. And so we know production per cow. We know what she ate yesterday and what she ate last week in the robot. We know some things about the quality of the milk or the characteristics of the milk. So there are systems that test the fat and protein and approximate the somatic cell count in the milk. So all of that information, and then to start breaking that out in terms of different lactation groups and different stages of lactation and really pinpoint where the opportunities are. We want to target because we have the opportunity to milk each number each cow as often as we want to. In the parlor pretty much there there were some farms that milk fresh cows four times a day, late lactation cows twice a day, but for the most part on a 3x herd all of the cows get milked 3x and in a robot farm we can vary that and we want to target that those early lactation cows are getting more milkings maybe four milkings because the research shows that more milkings in early lactation produce higher peaks. And then after the cows have peaked, we're going to tail it off and give her the milkings that she needs to keep her comfortable and and harvest the milk that she has.
0: A question I had too is to do with throughput because I know in parlors that's a big number that we're all concerning ourselves with is what is the milking time, the milking speed of the cow? How do robots affect that? Can you speak to how a robotic milking system affects a cow's milking speed?
1: I think that the biggest challenge we have right now, the next new frontier in terms of how many cows we can get through a robot is how fast they milk. And certainly, AI companies are looking into this. And originally, when we talked in terms of genetics about a robot-ready cow, we talked mostly about heat placement and teat size. And we've gone on from there. And certainly those things still matter. We don't want those short teats and we don't want those high rear quarters. Robots will struggle with those. But as we dig deeper, I've worked with some AI companies trying to identify how we get that milking speed information into a form that the AI company can use it to develop a selection index. We really, in robots, are prepping cows. So early on, maybe it took a little longer to find teats and we could speed up the process by making a robot that could find teats more quickly. But we've kind of reached the point now where we don't need to find them any more quickly. It takes that long. The amount of stimulation time that we want to have for a cow is about the amount of time that we have with preparation. So we're not going to get any more throughput by prepping cows faster we need that much time for milk let down the next frontier in more cows per robot is faster milking speed but along those lines like also in terms of throughput just like the things we look at in the parlor with how long does it take for a group of cows to exit and the next group of cows to load we're looking at the same thing in the robot and what are the times of day when we're not milking as many cows as we could, almost every barn between, say, 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. Is, is a slow point where just not much goes on in the barn unless there's something outside, either somebody pushing cows or something happening in the feed bunk to keep the barn moving at that time of day. So how can we fill those times? How can we make sure that the things that we do in the barn are not interfering? For example, the, the wash time, how will we use the downtime what are the things that that we might do that would interrupt cow flow, and can we make those things happen at a time when the system is down anyway? So we're really looking at this throughput in terms of cow things that we can do, and we've got some limitations there, and, it, and it's going to take some time to make those improvements. But in terms of robot things, those are things that I work with every day. How can we make better the use of the robot? How can we make cows come to the robot all day instead of having their activity more concentrated in certain busy times.
0: We talked about it a little bit at the start of this podcast, but the pros and cons, I'm sure this is something that you've discussed for all the the duration of your career here. Um, We know that the listeners, anybody that's listening that milks cows um, certainly understands that it frees up a great deal of time. So you talk about that improved lifestyle, Um, labor situations, we all know what that's like when the milkers don't show up that those cows are on a schedule, they have to be milked. And the quality of the person milking the cows or they're following the protocols is important as well. But I think something we fail to think about, again, going back to that time factor is when you're not spending the time milking the cows, it frees you up to do a lot of other things that you probably wish you could get to, whether that's, you know, good veterinary care of your animals or tending to your replacement animals. I mean, we all know that a lot of times that the, the baby calves get short shifted, maybe for you know getting the milking herd milked. But I guess when, when you think about the pros, the reasons to install a robotic herd, it's, speak to that, John. What are what are the primary reasons? I guess did we touch on them? Are those the main reasons that people consider a robotic system?
1: So I, I think you you touched on a few, and and I think for almost everybody, labor is the first thing that they look at. But I think that. Most people are probably not buying because they're looking because of labor, but when they start digging in and that process involves visiting a lot of farms and and knowing how to a lot of different people do things. And as you work through that process of understanding the system better, there are some other benefits that we begin to see. I think one of them is the uniformity of how every cow is prepped the same, every cow is milked the same, the quarter milking. So there are those mechanical aspects of how the machine works. But I think there are also some animal welfare aspects. and certainly that is not to say that cows are not treated well and can't be treated well in a parlor, but we do have this time in the holding area. And holding areas, are well-managed people are doing a good job of keeping the time in the holding area short in our parlors, but it's even better if the cow spends a very limited time waiting to get into the robot and manages her own time that way. And I think we see this following through not just the holding area, but some of the other ways that we let cows be cows paying off in terms of more lactations, uh, more longevity. And I, I can't quote specific studies on it, but anecdotally, I've talked to a number of different customers who talk about longer life in the herd because of the robots.
0: Well, when, when you sharpen a pencil and start factoring in all of the the pros, you you have to do that. You have to look at can you afford maybe not to do it in some instances. And let's talk about those costs, John. I guess for the listeners' sake, can you kind of ballpark for us when you start to think about switching over your your milk harvesting system to robots? What kind of numbers are we looking at?
1: I'm going to dodge that one a little bit, but I'm also going to provide some guidance. So the thing is, there are so many different things involved and and i could shoot a number off the hip that what a box might cost but in in addition to the box we're talking about in our guided flow systems the gates that are going to go along with it the milk transport system is going to vary so much from farm to farm and then in many cases a new barn is part of it i think i saw a number somewhere that probably half of the robotic milking installations involve new barns they don't have to. I've worked with some really good retrofit barns, some customers that are doing a great job in retrofit barns, but it's also in terms of the the increased production. How much of that is from the robot and not to sell the robot short, there are certainly opportunities for increased production, but many times this is coming with a new barn. So it's really a matter of looking at all of those, the the total package and, and just a number about this is how much a robot box cost really doesn't mean much. And I think the the other thing that as you're considering robots that you really need to make sure you have a handle on is is what it's going to cost to operate those robots. And as you tour farms, ask those questions, because it's really hard. I think the robot manufacturers have tried very hard to provide realistic numbers of what it costs to, to clean them, to maintain them, to do the maintenance kits, all those things that go along with it. But there is so much variation. In the industry. How how far are you from the dealer? How much travel time is involved? How much are you going to do yourself? Are you going to have the dealer train you to do all of the preventive maintenance kits yourself? Or are you going to call the dealer every time a, a milk meter is plugged in the middle of the night? So there's there's a huge range in what it costs. And rather than me try to spit out numbers on that, do your diligence. You will learn so much by touring different farms and work with the people who might be your dealer. And, we're, and, and look at all the brands and get to a number of different farms and not just, for example, if you think you like free flow tour a guided flow barn. If you think you like guided flow tour a free flow barn and go in with an open mind and look at all the different options and you're going to live with that for a long time and it's, and it's going to have a big impact on how well your barn works.
0: In your estimation, John, how much of an early adopter do you have to be to want to get into robotics? I guess I'm asking because some people have just a natural aversion to computers and and that type of technology. It's like it <laughs> gets their hackles up thinking about it. There's a fear. There's a fear factor there. How comfortable with computers do you have to be to install this type of a milk harvester system?
1: The immediate thought is that you have to be really tech savvy. And I've worked with some startups, with some people who did not know how to turn the computer on, but they were learners and they wanted to learn. And anybody can learn this. The resources are there to work with you to learn how to use a computer. If you're never going to be interested in it, if you you don't want to learn, that's going to be a red flag. But I think the the other thing that you talked about was the early adopters and these stages of a product life cycle. And I was just looking at some information on that this morning, and kind of where are we? And I would say we are in that middle stage, the the early majority. And and it's I think I've kind of gotten to see a lot of this transition. I think five years ago when we talked about robots you had to be a top-notch operator for the bank to even talk about lending you money for robots. Banks had been burned on some projects and banks were not familiar and so they were a little afraid of robot projects. Nutritionists were a little bit afraid of robot projects. And I think the whole industry has come to embrace that a whole lot more. And so we are in that early majority stage. And we see a lot more variation in skill levels, variation in management levels of the people Wanting to adopt robots. And as we work through this process, the, the difference between those who do an excellent job, but the facility is the limiting factor. And I've got to work with a couple of those barns. And it, it is just really fun when the facility was the limiting factor. We had great cows and great people, and they come into the robot barn and things just take off. And, and you kind of knew they would from the start. For those that had some holes in the management and thought that the robot was going to solve a lameness problem or a repro problem or a feed quality problem it probably is going to make those problems show up even more so and so i i'm all for people getting into the technology i'm thrilled about the opportunities that it can provide but i also think it's really important to have your house in order for cow comfort repro feed quality transition management while you are working towards that robot project while you're waiting for the the robots to be built and the barn to be built. Really make sure that we're tightening up on those things because it, it's going to matter even more in the robots.
0: In your previous life, you got these systems installed on farm and addressed a lot of the concerns about situating it and situating the managers and the herd. Now when does Cow Corner LLC, when do you get called in to consult typically on a robotic system?
1: I'm certainly willing to come in at any stage of the game and would be happy to lend my startup experience where it's needed. But I think that manufacturers have that area pretty well covered. As As we move six months, a year, two years into the install, when new questions start to come up and looking for that extra edge. And we're to the point where the robots are working well, the cows are trained, the people have a pretty good idea what's going on and they want to know what's the next step. How do I get from 85 to 95 pounds per cow? Is it And in my position to be able to take the extra time to actually walk through the morning routine, to show up on the farm at the beginning of the day and walk through the whole morning routine and really understand why they do the things they do in the barn and look for the opportunities to do something different. It's one thing to say your 2-year-olds have to come to the robots more often in early lactation, but to really be out in the barn and see what's going on and how things are working and and where is the opportunity and what is limiting? And it's it's easy to sit in a meeting and say, "Well, you got to train them better." And that may be the case, but how are we going to train them better and what are the limitations to training 2-year-olds better? And that's just one example. It might be feed tables. It might be milking permissions and always working with the rest of the team on the farm. I think that's a, that's a very important thing that I want to share about Cow Corner is I am not here to replace anybody. I am not a nutritionist, but I can help nutritionists make sure that the system feeds the cows the way the nutritionist wants them fed. I'm not a breeder. But I've been a breeder and I've walked pens of cows and I know how frustrating it is when cows are not where you want them to be. And I can come in and work with the system and help those things work better.
0: Your website is a wealth of information. And I know your tagline is you're you're helping robotic systems do more. And I like that. That's We all have to be striving to get better at what we do. And you're right. There are hurdles, milestones to be overcome whenever you adopt and implement new technologies. But I guess I was curious, what are some of the most frequently asked questions you get as a consultant? What are you seeing patterns? I know you're new to this business. This is you're, you're not you've not been a consultant for as many years as you're installing the equipment, but any, any frequently asked questions that are arising?
1: I think the feed tables is, is the biggest area of interest. And I think, one of the things that we see most often with feed tables is a, a bit of a disconnect between what we told the robot the cow should eat and what the cow is actually eating and to bring those things more closely in line and look what's actually happening with intake. Milking permissions is is always a topic that people want to talk about. How do we make sure that we've optimized that our early cows are getting the number of milkings we want, but also that we're not wasting time milking late lactation cows. That are not not needing that extra milking, and then I, I think an important part of it is having the right cows in the robot. is Is I look at our really top producing farms, there just are not underperforming cows in those barns. And I think back when I was in a tie stall barn, that underperforming cow stayed maybe longer than she should because I needed milk from the stall. And it's the the top producing barns have have been able to call and i think it's important when we look at calling so we, we talk about as the farm starts up and, and what it takes to to have the robots working the way we should we talk about three days three weeks three months and three years and people have clarified that is it, it takes three days for the cows to learn it takes three months for the people to learn it takes three years to have robotic cows on your farm. I think of when I was milking in the tie stall barn if I was short of replacements and bought some cows in, I might buy the top cows from the top herd in the county, but they were not the top cows in my herd, not because my cows were so good, but because my cows had through my culling and selection become cows that were able to tolerate my management problems and fit my management situation well we've got this in a robot barn where as we make this transition we've got cows that were through the female side selection through the calling selected to match this parlor freestall or tie stall whatever the situation was they were selected on the female side to match that management situation and it takes time to turn that around some of those cows will still be good cows in the robot some of them you may find three years down the road that you're looking at a different kind of of cow than you were there's the obvious thing about the the high rear teats we can, everybody can walk through a barn and know that those cows are going to be problems in the robot. But what about temperament and some of those cows that maybe we didn't want in the parlor because they kicked us are the cows that have the attitude to get themselves to the robot on a regular basis and and get through whatever barriers there are to, to frequent milking. And so some of those things that we don't know how to measure as well end up being important factors in, in getting things to, to work well.
0: It's been a really interesting discussion on robotics and we could talk about this for hours yet, John. What you've seen, what you've learned and what you've shared with us just in this half an hour has been really, really exciting and informative. I guess as we close up this episode of The Dairy Show, could you share with us, I guess, in your estimation, and this is not really a fair question to ask because it's hard always to condense so much knowledge into just three points, but if you could point out three keys to successful implementation and management of a robot milk what might they be? What are your top three keys to success?
1: I'm going to start with combining four into one. And I mentioned this before that we need to start with good management. And, and in my mind today, good management is quality forages, reproductive management, cow comfort and transition management. And so that, that's number one is to have your your basic stuff right. I think number two, off the cuff, I'm, I'm going to say a learning mindset. And as I used to teach these classes, we would have every now and then a student come in. So I used to teach the robotic operators classes in, in my previous employment. And every now and then you'd have somebody come in and we would look at each other and the instructors and I would look at each other and say they're too good. what they do now. They're too confident in what they're doing that they're not willing to accept a new mindset and look at things in a different way than they did before. So that would be number two would be a willingness to learn and look for new ways of doing things. Number three, I think would be being a student of your cows. And, And maybe this is overlapping with number two, so maybe number two is learning from people, number three is learning from your cows. It always amazes me when I visit with customers, especially the really, really good cow man or or cow woman, but I've got a particular person in my head when I say this, the the things that they observe about the cows in the robots and the way they put these things into patterns and then use them to, to manage their barn. I I could go on about the stories, the observations that good cow people have made and the amazing things that cows do in robots and the ways we figure out to make cows do what we want them to do in robots.
0: I know your tagline, making robotic systems do more, rings true. That is exactly what you're investing your time and energies against. And those of you listening, if you want to learn more, John Gerbitz has been our guest this morning, robotic milking consultant. Look him up. Cow Corner LLC. There's so much more to be learned on the website. I'm so sorry to cut this short at 30 minutes, but man, what a great 30 minutes it has been. John, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would
1: love to hear from you.